Tilsley manages to pitch it perfectly and always, you know, and then, you know, he is one of those commentators that has the uh, the back catalogue of hits, you know, can Manchester United score? They always score. These moments where he just captured, captured a mood. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation tomorrow, bro. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. Hello and welcome to the Football Spin with Dion Fanning, Nuruddin Chowdhury, and me, Matt Stanger. Where else to start tonight but Manchester United? A slightly less than convincing VAR-assisted 2-0 win over Crystal Palace, but that's now 17 games unbeaten and top four hopes still alive. Noz, happy with that? I mean, you've got to be happy with any result at this uh, time, this stage in the season. But I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't totally convinced. I said. I said in the last pod that uh, tonight would be a good test because uh, it's how you come back from a from sort of a bad a bad result. And uh, so far, United have shown that they're a proper form team, so they they look great. But then, as soon as the chips are down, they can lose it a little bit. And uh, I mean, it's it's weird to say. Like an away game under floodlights to uh, to Crystal Palace, like you'd take two nil any any time. But um, I do think a bit of a a bit of luck was involved. I think I think they were probably the better team. I don't know. What do you reckon, Dion? Um, I think I think if you win, uh, even with VAR assisted, I think United will be pleased with that. I think playing relying on the on this kind of the same core players every every game, you know, Sosgar is going to feel that some matches are not going to really be um, at their best. Uh, and tonight might be one of them. You know, the, the like we talked about the um, the uh, the Southampton game, and you know how the bit of pressure there seemed to kind of um, affect United hugely, and the pressure being Manchester City's. Uh, judgment, you know, in 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 getting the cast ruling in their favor, so there is that element of it that is coming in, and, and as you know, the top four places are um, incredibly tight, so there is there is a, a pressure building there. But I think, I think you like you know, like the VAR, the VAR, like the the foul on, Sa- on Zaha was probably a penalty. Amazing that VAR didn't give it, but the Crystal Palace goal. Um, Crystal Palace goal was offside, um, and it looked offside. Like there was a strange, there was a strange, and like the only reason it shouldn't have been given, or it should have been given, was because of of the previous decision, um, because it was just like this is just too unfair on Crystal Palace for them to have two uh, far decisions go against them. But like you know, you can see the uh, like Glenn Hoddle in, in, in co commentary. He was like, yeah, it looked offside to me, but then clearly it wasn't because the linesman didn't give it. Oh, but now it is because uh, VAR has given it. I didn't see it. I thought he maybe I thought it was offside, but then I thought maybe he timed his <laughs> run properly. But actually, now I think he was offside. Uh, and it's like you can still have the same opinion, Glenn. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like you can just, and you can also change your opinion if you see pictures that give you some new perspective that changes your opinion. That's also okay. Um, but he seems to be determined just to view it through the the eyes of of the uh, the assistant referee. 
um, the assistant to the assistant referee, as Jose Mourinho calls them there, <laughs> knowing that the real power is no longer on the pitch. Um, but uh, I know I think if you're United, you're, you're fine with that result. It was a good win for Leicester as well, beating Sheffield United 2-0. Uh, Chris Wilder wasn't particularly happy about that, but for Leicester, that keeps them in four for now. Three goals better than Manchester United, but United obviously, of course, travelled to Leicester on the final day of the season. So, I mean, it's going to go to the wire, isn't it? At least we still have something to play for in this Premier League season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You need it. Mm-hmm. You, we definitely need it, don't we? Yeah, we do. Like, it's getting... Um... It's getting uh, kind of bleak. Let's be honest. Um, like we, you know, I thought I thought the uh, I thought the Bournemouth Leicester game was some sort of you know outlier there last Sunday, um, which then turned out to be the greatest half an hour of football anyone had ever seen. But um, you know, there's every night now. It's uh, it's just relentless. It does feel like you know, people are just just like it's basically like those people who just keep pushing, who kind of Go on, go, go out drinking, and then go drinking for much to like seven days. Like you bump into them, you go home, and then you bump into them like four days later, and they're still out somewhere, sitting outside a pub. And you're like, go home, go home now, and uh, go home uh, football. You're drunk. <laughs> go home football. You're drunk. That's what it feels <laughs> like right now. Um, but uh, especially after the the Villa the Villa result today, I think just. Um, like that was, uh, that was uh, heartbreaking for, for you. Were, for, you were getting quite excited, weren't you? Yeah, well, I like Villa. I like them to stay up, and I also thought it was it was um, it just wants a bit of excitement. It wants some adrenaline, Nas. Yeah, I just need some no, fucking get, yeah. adrenaline. And uh, I don't know, like like I, uh, the, the certain games which are obviously good, they're in the good category, but even it's st- for me, still even the bad games. I can I can deal with it. Like I, I'm usually in, in in normal situations, it's it's kind of like I can't be doing with like boring games where I don't give a shit about each what each team does or whatever. But the way I'm treating it at the moment is, I don't know about you, but like I have certain I have certain TV shows that I I have enjoyed like the first ten times I've watched them, and then after that, sometimes I'll just stick them on for like background music, like. I really enjoy community or like I know other people like really enjoy friends, but it's, it's as background noise while you're doing Ooh. other stuff. And and I treat the shit games like that. I, I can't cope with it anymore. Personally. I turned Leicester Bournemouth off at half time the other day. You did well. It reminded me of, um, you know, that, that famous Barcelona comeback against PSG in the Champions League when I think they won six one. Sergi Roberto scored the final goal. Ooh. One of incredible comebacks of all time. And I watched Manchester City nil, Stoke nil uh, in the Premier League. <laughs> so I feel like I'm being punished for something. And I'm sure I deserve it. But uh, you made a, a very good point about Aston Villa, though, Dion. You said if you concede a header to Theo Walcott, then you know surely you deserve to go down in some way for that. It, it, yeah, it's, you- it's a way to seal it almost. No, it is. It's 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 um, yeah. It's it's, un, it's unforgivable. I think it's the only they, they, the word unforgivable is thrown around lightly these days. But uh, you know, uh, it's the kind of thing that um, 
you know, get a spectator column out of you know things being unforgivable. Um, how 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 would you how would you sum sum up Theo Walcott's career? <laughs> like no, because 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 the, cause the, cause the, the general the, 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 there's a, there's a feeling that he hasn't lived up to his his potential, but maybe this was his potential. Right. Yeah, I suppose um, maybe this was his potential. Yeah. Uh, I think I don't. Yeah, I I think in a strange way the the Everton years for Theo Walcott, uh, like have been have been the strangest because it is just that he he is kind of he he is he is he is an Arsenal he is just so symbolic of a of a certain time at Arsenal which is you know still the the Arsenal way like he could fit back he could just effortlessly slip back into the uh, Arsenal setup and. No one would, no one would blink really. Like if he did a kind of George Costanza and pitched up at at Ever- at Arsenal again uh, next week, people would be like, "All right, Theo, um, you know your your uh, your 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 training kits over there." Um, <laughs> you can have the last two minutes <laughs> to waste time. <laughs> Um, and I think that's it. Like I don't think, I, yeah. I feel like, how do you define his career? It's just a big shrug, isn't it? It's just like, but and also, and yeah, maybe I don't know if people like the the potential. Is it really that people have kind of? When did people last really believe in Theo Walcott? Like nobody, like nobody has believed in them the way Sen Goran Eriksson believed in them in what was it, two thousand six. Was it yeah, World Cup? give him a single appearance, did he? At the World Cup? No, he didn't. But no, but that squad selection, like that was like that. That, that is kind of it's a tragic story, and it's not tragic, but it's 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 funny that you know the, you're you're almost the high point of your career comes when you're named in a squad, you know, a squad announcement. I've I've got one for you, Dion. Uh, the other day, um, I asked in 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 a WhatsApp group, like, who is a World class player who's not ne- that's not had the recognition who's played for your team that you support, and Matt Stanger said Gary Flickcroft. Right. What about Barry Ferguson? <laughs> no, Barry Ferguson is awful. He couldn't lace Gary Flickcroft's boot. <laughs> I love the way you fought, you fought fire with fire and just thought, okay, if you're going to name an average player, I'm going to name an average player. Yeah, Barry Ferguson arrived at Black, but there's so so uh, so high high hopes. Well, like in Scotland, I remember that time when the, all of Scotland was looking to Blackburn uh, and wondering how Barry Ferguson was going to do. Um, Just on Theo Walcott, I was speaking to someone the other day about his call up to the England 2006 World Cup squad. And apparently, he took a video camera with him and just filmed the entire experience sort of a fly on the wall in the England camp. So, I mean, these are the, the lost Theo Walcott tapes. Someone needs to make an Asif Kapadia, Maradona-style video, surely, of Theo that Walcott's was, footage on, on the inside. And that was the Baden-Baden uh, World Cup as well, wasn't it? So, like, there would be a lot of, uh, like, the stories from that um, from that World Cup are pretty pretty extraordinary. So, if Theo's got any of that... Maybe he will. Maybe that's what he'll do. Maybe he'll become a great documentary maker. Uh, um, 
Stanger, you're you, you're a bit of a nerd. Um, who who was wasn't wasn't there a wasn't there a French player who was he of Mauritian descent or Indian descent? Does it ring a bell? Vikash Tarasu. Yeah, because I think that's the guy. Like, I'm sure he made like a really sort of like a downcast sort of documentary about sort of being an unused squad player during a major tournament. Oh, this rings a bell, actually. Yeah. Um... Played for Paris Saint-Germain, didn't he? This is yeah. a great tangent that we're going on here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's, how, that's how crap the football was today. <laughs> During the 2006 World Cup, Doris Sue did some personal filming for a film called Substitute, which was released the following year in France. Are you speaking from, uh, from memory of you Google that really quickly? Because, like... Yeah, I, I Googled that very quickly. <laughs> you, did, you really did. You really pulled it up very... I'm very impressed because, like... I, I take much longer to kind of you know, arrange my thoughts around something I've just Googled. Yeah, I, I, like, I mean, sounds like he's Googled it. But I mean, in, in, in fairness to you, you type with one finger, so it takes a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue, Matt. Explain. explain what you just read out. his thoughts and feelings throughout the tournament, resulting in a, and I quote, deeply unconventional sporting film. Right. So this is it. Two great 2006 World Cup films. Uh, to be made well one that's been made another one um yet to be produced by Thea Walcott but so you, you sound like you're almost kind of done with this season Dion but um listening to BT Sport tonight uh, the commentator exclaimed at one point if you're a football fan this is utopia which uh, refers to the fact that we've got football running all the way up until Euro 2021 now. Is, is it utopia? Are you both looking forward to a non-stop football festival from now until then? Well, Nas seems to be. Um, I, I think it's kind of, like, clearly we know the circumstances and why football is back now, so it seems a little bit churlish to be complaining about it. But here we are, and I'm going to complain about it. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's uh, like this is these are exceptional circumstances. That was a bit, bit Frank Lampard there, as if I kind of was going to go no seriously. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was uh, no. I think it's 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 really not utopia unless you you like no. It's it's it can't be because it is it is it is purely functional. Like football is on now to to be the football is on to be finished like this is the only purpose for the football really to be on is so that it can be over like that is like that's where we are really with all of it for various reasons so it doesn't doesn't have any i and i think that's somehow that transmits itself like the fact that nobody this is just done so that everyone can get their uh get the seasons over get into next season uh get their television money have every everything nicely wrapped up in a bow and that's why we're having this football now. Um, maybe when next season starts, when the Premier League starts, that will feel, and there's, there's, there's potentially some crowds in, in, in games, although the way things are going, I don't know how long they'll be playing matches with, with crowds at them. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot, like, the, you know, the second half, the, the, the Champions League in August is going to be good. Like, that will be, that will be pretty good. Um, that kind of mini tournament that will actually have uh, potentially have more of what kind of we maybe maybe thought the Premier League would have in terms of like a kind of 
the intensity of a World Cup, uh, you know, that'll have some element of that because it, it, it's knockout games um, and over a pretty short period of time. But, uh, like, I started, you know, I, I did hear that comment about Utopia and I started, like, looking through the next, uh, you know, few weeks anyway. And, you know, I got to, uh, I got to September to September the 3rd and I saw that the uh, UEFA Nations League was back and I wondered what kind of utopia it was. Now Bulgaria are playing Ireland which uh, I'll be very excited about. Stephen Kenny's uh, first match as Ireland man- competitive match as Ireland manager um, and uh, like that is that is interesting but this is the Nations League and the idea that for the next five nights, um, like we'll be looking back on these 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 games, we're looking back on the first half if after five nights of uh, the Nations League in September. If we're still in some kind of lockdown, we'll be looking back, which we probably will be. We'll be looking back on like Black uh, Bournemouth Leicester as like some as like it was the Mardi Gras or something. You know, it was like you know the happiest time of our lives. So. Uh, I think um, no, it doesn't seem. I think until they get fans, until if they can get some supporters back, I think that will make a difference. But I do feel at the moment this is uh, this is kind of running running out a little bit of uh, of uh, it's running out of energy. But you are happy, Noz. You're you're loving every minute of this until uh, Bulgaria, Ireland. In the the international break, what we need now is a good international break, isn't it? We, we've we've enjoyed the football. Let's get back to uh, watching glorified friendlies again. <laughs> I think that's. Do you know what? I think that's it. I think I think maybe the reason I'm enjoying it is because there's not been a fucking international break. Because that's what always happens anytime you get into a rhythm of like enjoying football. There's a fucking international break with like stupid fucking games. Like no one gives a shit about. I mean. I appreciate that's really sort of hypocritical, hypocritical, because I really get into like um, the tournaments. But other than that, it's boring as fuck. Do you know what? Do you know what? I know I'm going off to topic, but um, the BBC have been showing um, like old Olympics clips on BBC Two, I think, and I really missed that. Like I watched a bit of that, and I just thought, like, fuck, that's what's missing from my life—just a bit mm. of Olympics. Yeah, that would be yeah. Cricket has been good though because cricket, cricket, uh, test match cricket especially, um, you know, it is a, a sad indictment of test match cricket, but it, it, there is no discernible difference between cricket, test match cricket played behind closed doors, and <laughs> test match cricket the rest of the time. So, uh, like, I found that very enjoyable because you can just you can actually be absorbed by it, and the first test was very good. But uh, no, I think it's. Um, I think, you see, I do think, like, the international break coming, like, the only, it does make international breaks worse a lot of the time that uh, they seem to take, um, they take up they take up so much time during important narrative, at narr- important narrative points in a season. Um, and I do think that if you, uh, it's a bit like the FA Cup, if you could somehow get international football back to how it once was and play all the games on a Wednesday, in between two Saturdays of, of Premier League, then everyone would love it. Like the same with the FA Cup, if they could play it midweek, 
people would, would would be fine with it. It's just that it takes over a weekend. Um, but the idea now that you would actually go, maybe it won't make any difference. Maybe it's because we'll just be like, you know, there won't be anything else happening. So we'll go to Na- Nations League games uh, and try and figure out, you know, in lockdown, maybe lockdown is a time when actually people will be able to figure out the Nations League and how it works uh, properly. You know, we now have the time to do that, the way people have, you know, uh, learned uh, uh, Flemish and things like that in lockdown. People will actually f- <laughs> figure out the uh, how the Nations League works. I tell you, someone else who uh, won't be looking forward to the next international break. <laughs> nice link. Clive nice link, yeah. Uh, yeah. has been placed as the main commentator on ITV by by Sam Matheface, who we should say uh, is an excellent commentator himself. But Clive Tildesley, obviously. Um, somewhat upset by uh, the fact that he's been demoted to secondary commentator for ITV, said that the thing he's going to miss most is covering the England matches. What do we think about this? Was it time to move Clyde Tilsley on? I mean, there's been a lot of um, support for him throughout the the football industry. Um, The only thing I would say is that I think uh, not commentating on England matches is probably more of a, bonus than than Clive Tilsley realizes. I think it's not necessarily like it it it's seen it's seen perhaps as like the apex of 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 the job, but um it really shouldn't be. And I've heard Clive Tilsley doing various different commentaries recently uh, on other channels as well. And he's you know he is so good and he has that voice um, and he has that manner that brings you in in a different way like he just he just brings he makes you feel that uh that this is that this is that that there's an event taking place um it's a strange thing that commentators can do they can kind of stamp their personality on it um and it works if they've got a personality that is uh engaging and paradoxically a personality that doesn't get in the way too much but because like the worst commentators bring their personality to it too and you're like and you you find it it is it is as irritating as sitting beside someone at a game who won't stop talking um but Tilsey manages to do to pitch it perfectly and and always you know and then you know he is one of those commentators that has the uh the back catalogue of um, of hits, you know, can Manchester United score? They always score. These moments where uh, he just captured captured a mood, um, and maybe in a way, in a, in, a, in a sort of a collective, like in in those moments where everybody, you know, everybody was watching like that game on ITV, and you know, Clive Tilsey was a commentator. Uh, and it just it it captures something of the collective sense around that, and maybe that's why he misses the he'll miss the England games because the England game England games now uh, are World Cup games are the only time when you really get that collective uh, that collective energy, and everybody is focused and listen. You know, the the country stops. And it's funny, like in Ireland, they, you know, there's been an awful lot about 
Jack Charlton since last since last Saturday, and one of the one of the moments was like when Ireland got to the the penalty shootout against Romania in 1990 in the last 16, and as David O'Leary stood up to take the penalty, the commentator George Hamilton and he, there was a documentary on about it again, repeated recently, you know, last week, and he's just talking about how he had to find the right words and the words he he used were the nation holds its breath. And then David O'Leary took the penalty and scored and Ireland were in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And that has become, um, those words are as kind of, uh, they, 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 they capture something about the, that era as much as, uh, as anything, as almost as anything that the, 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 that was achieved, not quite, but they are, it, it goes, it goes in tandem with the stuff that was achieved by the players and the manager. And in a strange way, Commentators can do that, and Tilsley did that. Like, can Manchester United score? They always score. Um, that that summed up Manchester United under Alex Ferguson, especially in that period. So, like, that is what a great commentator can do. And I think it's a shame. Uh, I I hope, like Jeff Stelling said, some you know, suggested there was ageism involved. I kind of think it's ridiculous. If I don't think there is, but when those ideas take hold, it's really I, 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 it, it's very short-sighted, and there seems to be, and there is this trend where, um, you know, people think they need they need to get a young audience by getting young, you know, the young uh, commentators or young analysts, and that's fine. You know, you, you know, there should be a range, but the idea that you can't have a young audience with somebody uh, like you know Clive Tilsley, I think, is is kind of insulting to everybody. Completely. Sorry, Naz, I thought you were going to come in there. <laughs> I was just enjoy- I was just enjoying Dion's voice so much. I think I think he captured my sort of uh, reality there. I, I was yeah. thinking how the English equivalent to the nation holds its breath is probably Brian Moore and Kevin Keegan, England, Argentina. <laughs> That's <Moore>. amazing. <laughs> Talk about putting somebody on the spot. <laughs> you, you, know, you know him better than anybody. Do you back him to score quickly? Yes or no? Keegan, yes. Oh, and he hasn't. Oh no. <laughs> that was the, that was the commentating commentator's version of like the ambulance pass. Just sort of like no hope. We can't win at all. <laughs> Amazing. It went as well as Keegan's managerial career for England, let's say. But uh, <laughs> I mean, probably don't need to say this, but I didn't used to be a great fan of Clive Tildesley because I watched one of those appalling. Uh, I think it was on Channel 4. You know those shows where they sort of get a load of different... Talking heads. Unions, pop stars, talking heads. People who you can tell, even if they are passionate about football, they're sort of embarrassed to be on one of these shows, just giving a sense yeah. of com- uh, commentary on a famous moment in football history. And I think it was something to do with greatest ever goals, greatest goals of all time, or Champions League goals or something. But anyway, they had Clive Tilton on to talk about Zinedine Zidane's volley against Bayer Leverkusen in, off the top of my head, the 2001 Champions League final around that time. 2002. 2002. I think it was at Hamden, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. Dion, he, he's Googling again. No, I, know, I remember that it's one. Not, it's not off the top of his head at all. It is, it is. It is. It is, oh, it is. You know, I, I'm much slower. I can't Google that quickly. <laughs> but, uh, I don't like Matt's internet. My, my Googling speed is the same. <laughs> 
So, so Clive Tildesley sat there in the studio and it cuts back to Clive after this goal goes in from Zidane. And he just, in this sort of self-indulgent moment, and maybe he was prompted by the producers, but he just repeats his commentary. He just says, fantastic. And just repeats it exactly how it's, how he said it in the commentary, which, which sort of made it feel as if he felt the, the goal, this incredible, iconic moment in football history was all about the commentary and not Zinedine Zidane picking it out of the sky and putting it in the top corner. So I was always a little bit wary of him, but then obviously over the past, I don't know, 15 years or so since I watched that show, I've realised he's uh, actually quite quite modest and obviously exceptionally good at what he does. Uh, and like you say, Dion, there are so many moments throughout the tapestry of football history, like that Manchester United final where he, he's been the voice, he's been the narrator for all of that. And I think, like you say, for, for him to be moved on, hopefully not because of this idea that younger audiences, uh, he wouldn't necessarily appeal to those, then, yeah, I mean, it, it would seem a ridiculous decision. Do you feel strongly about it, Nas? What do you think about, what do you think makes a, a great commentator? Um, well, I think, I think, um... I think Matt sort of hit upon it perfectly when when he used the word self-indulgent. I think I think any commentator who is in any way self-indulgent is automatically shit. I think it's one of those it's one of those things where if there's a hint of smarminess, then that comes across really badly. Um, I mean, the, the other the other sort of uh, the caveat to that is 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 uh, Alan Green is unbearable. And he's not self-indulgent. He's just annoying. He's just a whinging, moaning man, just a bitter man who just wants to have a moan and and doesn't seem to enjoy doing his job or football at all. Uh, yeah. But other than that, um, it's a. Uh, it, I think I think the thing with commentators is it's strongly linked to to, to nostalgia and what your sort of era was. Because do, um, go on. Why do I feel like Alan Green wants? commentated on you playing a five-side match or something. <laughs> but, but do you know I, what it is? Do you, do you know what it is? It's because, like, back in the back in the days when I used to, like, have allegiances to people, like, personal allegiances to, like, managers and footballers, uh, before I realised they don't love you back, um, he, he had a big problem. He obviously had a big personal problem with uh, Alex Ferguson. And, like, it was very clear... For whatever reason, he didn't like him, and he and that really bled into any time he commentated on United, and and had anything to say about Alex Ferguson. And from then, I just thought, what is your problem? Like it's it it, it just felt like uh, again, just a bitter bitter man. No time for him. He's actually got a great relationship or dynamic going with Clinton Morrison on BBC commentary recently. Whenever I'm driving back anywhere on a, on a Sunday which makes it sound like I have weekend plans, but usually I'm just to go out for a drive. Um, but I love the way Clinton Morrison will call him Al all the time, and I always think, I bet he absolutely hates, hates it. <laughs> definitely. Do, 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 do you know who made Alan Green bearable? Um, it was uh, Jimmy Armfield. Oh, just, yeah. a, just a lovely, lovely man. Didn't Alan Green... Um, Alan Green had... Uh... Some issues with his retirement too, didn't he? He he was, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, football commentator Alan Green, sixty-seven, slams disrespectful BBC for forcing him into semi-retirement after forty-five years in the job. 
as he laments their policy of hiring, quote, new people who fit the requirement of banter with presenters. Uh, but it's all coming, it's all sounding like what you're saying about uh, commentators' nods, uh, what Alan Green is saying there, you know, they might echo what Clive Tilsey said in its, in its own way, but what you're saying there echoes these words. So many these days talk for the sake of it and bury you in stats. TV has pictures. Let them tell their own tale. Names and numbers, as I once told. You don't have to talk for 90 minutes or try and work out a game or try and work out a game out after two. I digress. It's not the end of the world, Clive, although I know it feels like it right now. It's the end of an era. Sam is a good call. Enjoy it, mate. Oh, watch out, Martin. The words of the words of Richard Keyes, the only word, the only man could only be Richard Keyes, right? Uh, who in his blog, most recent blog wrote about Clive Tilsley, uh, but as 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 Matt pointed out before the show, wrote about Clive Tilsley, but really just wrote about himself. Uh, um, it is like he is. Um, you know that story about the, 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 the famous actor. I think it's almost just used uh, as a kind of generalization for any egotistical actor. Uh, when somebody went b- backstage after a performance in a play, uh, and he says, "You know, um, they, he talks for a while, and he says, well, enough about me. Tell me, what did you think of my performance?'" <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's Richard Keyes. I've known Clove since we were both babies. <laughs> Doesn't even get the calls of Clove, uh, but uh, no, it's, it's a tremendous, a tremendous blog on uh, on on Keezy and you know, like you think this is you think this is you think this is problems. You're you know being becoming the number two commentator. Uh, this is nothing. This is nothing, Clive. Try getting. Try having the the. Uh, Try having the dark forces at work. Try, try that one for size and see how you feel. You know, when uh, when when that's all happening. So it's uh, it's 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 a remarkable um, remarkable blog from uh, from from Keezy. and uh, um, yeah, and as he said, then he he just highlights he highlights that Martin Tyler may now be uh, you know under the microscope. I've I've probably got a bit of a controversial opinion on commentators. Do you know who? Do you know who I've got? Do you know who I've got no time for? Go on, John Watson. Interesting. I'm not having it. I don't get no. it. He's he, he. I just don't get it. Like this, there's, there's loads better than him. Barry Davis. Oh well, yeah, Barry Davis was always. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah I think Barry Davis was always uh, better than Watson. I'd agree. And, uh, I went to an award ceremony once where he won a contribution to football sort of lifetime achievement award, and they played loads of clips from his greatest moments in commentary, and they were all just moments where it sounded like he was surprised that something had happened. So, like, oh, it's a goal! That's what I like. That's that's what I loved. Like, it'd be like, like his his commentary style for for a goal would be like. Oh, Canadia! <laughs> he'd, he'd like he'd like lose his shit. He was he, he was like he was like a pre Gary Neville, just like a little squeal and then, and then name the player. Um, I I also like uh, Brian Moore. Brian yeah, Moore's Brian Moore was fantastic. 
because he he had that growl sort of like he'd be he'd be he'd be commentating no, and like normally and like say if there's a through ball to like I don't know whatever David Rowcastle go Rowcastle and like and you knew something was about to happen like like both of them better than Motson I'd have I'd have Jonathan Pierce over Motson here's a name Gerald Sinclair <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you look at Tony, yeah, Tony Gopper. We're just throwing out. Names um, uh, yeah, but I don't think they're controversial opinions, Nas. I hate to break it to you, but I don't think Motson. Brian Moore and Barry Davis, you prefer them to John Motson. Is that yeah, but I, but I think I think Motson's bad. I I, um, I prefer Peter Brackley yeah, as well for, yeah. the, for the for the football Italia stuff. Hmm. Yeah, he was great on football Italia. Some. some... Brilliant memories on uh, Pro Evo as well. Great commentator on that series. You must have grown up like me though in the northwest, Noz, on on Elton Wellsby. Yes, he was he was fantastic, wasn't he? Was he a commentator or a presenter? No, no, he's a presenter. Yeah, yeah, he did more of the roundups. Yeah, although 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 you forget like how powerful Elton Wellsby was because I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that he fronted like a World Cup. Like I'm pretty sure, like, like maybe USA '94. Like he was like the uh, main man. Really? Yeah. Unless, did, he, unless I'm... did he miss that penalty in the opening ceremony? <laughs> that was him. You're right. That's how. <laughs> I was like, I was wondering where you're going with that. You're saying you forget how powerful Elton Wellesby was. Like that he <laughs> he introduced the uh, you know the official secrets act in 1992. <laughs> he was the first Home Secretary to uh, you know, um and stuff movies or something. You know, I don't know what, like, where you were going with, with how powerful he was. And he's like, he presented USA 94. <laughs> Sometimes, not really power as such. Maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. I forget how powerful he was. I've got a fantastic citation needed here from Elton Wellesby's Wikipedia page. In 2011, Wellesby made a brief appearance on Michael Bublé, Home for Christmas, a Christmas programme presented by Canadian singer Michael Bublé. Brackets, citation needed. <laughs> did, he present the, did he present the 94 World Cup? Uh, no, I see, I'm on a final work at, as IDV's lead football presenter was at the 1992 European Championships. I just want to wrap up on, we don't have Matt Sayward with us tonight, unfortunately, or Paddy with their fantastic theme tunes, but we'll do a very brief championship corner just because Leeds won again today. And it was an own goal, which is a wonderful way to close in on the championship title. 1-0 win against Barnsley. It's going to be brilliant, isn't it, to have Leeds back in the Premier League? That is something to look forward to in this football utopia, Dion. Yeah, no, it is. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great to have Bielsa there um, uh, and to have Leeds there. I think it's um, it's just a, a good thing. It's really important that Leeds are back in the in the Premier League. It's uh, um, I don't know, like it's a strange thing. Like, uh, and Nas might feel differently as a United fan, but I just there's some something about Leeds um, that. And I don't remember like the great lead scenes like of the seventies, but like there's something about them that it just feels like there's it 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 it's makes makes sense of things and just a sort of emotion about them being um in the Premier League, especially with Bielsa and the way it's it's happened. It's not kind of uh you know, like 
it's not Steve Evans taking them into the Premier League, which would have been, which was never going to happen, but it would also have been terrible. But um, no, I think it's great. Steve Evans did have the sombrero ready, though, for the celebration. So I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. <laughs> I have. I have. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, gents. That was the football spin with Dion Fanning, Nuruddin Chowdhury, and me, Matt Spranger. You can subscribe in all of the usual places and join us again on Saturday morning for the next show. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation tomorrow, bro. People's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave.